everybody. Welcome to Two Strike Noise, your weekly baseball history podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, as usual, Jeff. Joining me from our remote Pacific Northwest studio is none other than Mark A. Johnston. Mark, welcome back. How are you doing? Hey, man, it's uh, it's good to be back. It's good to be here. There's like baseball in the air. I could smell it today. And uh, I believe there might even be some people throwing the ball around in uh, Florida and Arizona. Yeah, I don't know about you, but every year on the first day of spring training, I watch games and about yeah. halfway through the first one, I go, man, I can't wait for opening day because this is <laughs> yeah, <laughs> whole month of half games of people I've never heard of. Wearing right. jersey it's, number 92. Yeah, it's not a who's who, it's a who? Yeah, yeah, I, I agree, but it's fun to watch anyway, you know, and happy to catch a little bit of professional baseball. So many questions, uh, so much excitement, you know, as the season starts, everybody's got their big hopes up, and, and you know, even me. And so, uh, yeah, it's just a fun time of the year, I think. Oh, you're a Mariner fan. Those Those hopes will be cut down very soon. At least, at least I'm used to it. All right. Well, let's get into the show. We have got, I got a lot of stuff to cover here. Uh, you've got a topic that uh, I know absolutely nothing about. And of course, we've got Wax Packs Heroes, which everybody loves. So we'll get into that so that I can lose yet again. But let's first make sure that we are properly warmed up. Take a little, maybe instead of BP today, we should take a little PFP. See how that goes, because it is it is still early in the spring. Let's jump right into it, though. I've got a bunch of things that kind of made me scratch my head this week that I found. Remember when the San Francisco Giants opened up? It's now called Oracle Park. I think when it first opened up, it was Pacific Bell Stadium, Pac Bell. Pretty right, sure. I think you're right. Yeah. All right. So when they opened that, they were looking for people to, you know, pay for the naming rights like now Oracle Oracle has it. So ownership of the Giants went to Ralph Lauren to see if he wanted to buy the rights to the park so that they could name it the Polo Grounds. <laughs> nice. Yeah, Lauren turned it down, which is stupid. I, I I got no feeling one way or the other on Ralph Lauren, but that would have been pretty cool since that's my favorite park of all time. Well, think about all the cool merchandise, man. They're the best dressed fans in, in baseball. I mean, it just it doesn't really make sense since, you know, I mean, the Giants played in the polo grounds in New York. Right. Yep. So that would have been really cool. But remember when Safeco, which is now, of course, T-Mobile, uh, when they yeah. announced that they were not going to be Safeco anymore, everybody was pushing for Starbucks, which, of course, is local to Seattle, so that they could call it the Starbucks grounds. Yes. Uh, also, Boeing, which is local there. They wanted it to be called Boeing Field, which is the name of the uh, facility there. One of the facilities that, that houses Boeing and where they build planes and they've got their own airport and stuff, which that would have been cool as well. I, that would have been really cool if it would have been called the Polo Grounds. All right. Uh, the Athletic. I don't know if you subscribe to The Athletic. I, I do. I do. Oh, you could. Well, then they, maybe you saw this. They published an article last week about team names, baseball team names. Sounds like a familiar topic. Yeah. One we might have covered back with much of the same information, no less. But uh, I did glean one new thing from the, the piece is since that I never thought I would read about a person. We've talked about minor league teams throwing out the, the contest for fans to name the team. Well, Houston did that when they were an expansion club, and then they would be known as the Colt 45s. Well, while they were looking for that name, there is a guy, his name was John Mahel. Mahel? I don't know. M-A-H-E-L. There was no phonetics, so I'm just going to struggle mm. with it. He was a member of the Charlevoix, Michigan chapter of the Society for the Prevention of Barbershop Quartet Singing. <laughs> I didn't know that existed. Wow. I did not either, but sign me right up. Sign me up <laughs> twice, as a matter of fact. Oh, my. These are my people. <laughs> the Society for the Prevention of Barbershop Quartet Singing. Well, he sent in 192 names uh, of what the, the Houston expansion franchise could be. My goodness. 
Yeah, so one of the names the leader of the greatest group of like-minded people ever suggested was the Swindlers, which, as it turns out, would be a great name for the Houston club still. And they probably it would have carried on, yeah. Yeah, they yeah. probably should have just gone with that one. Uh, let's see. Here's a name you are certainly familiar with. He's been in the news quite a bit, uh, as he was a free agent just until recently. Taiwan Walker. Sure. Walker last year wore number double zero. Are you, do you remember that? I do. We've, and Lord knows we've talked about zeros and double zeros before. Well, this year he switched to number 99 when he was signed with the Mets. The reason being because Mr. Met is number double zero. <laughs> well, we can't take the mascot's no. number. That would be unheard of. No. And, you know, Mr. Met's been known to break a few kneecaps before. So he didn't want to no. he didn't want to try and barter for that number. So he is a true New Yorker. Yeah. So Mr. Matt is uh, still number double zero. And Taiwan Walker is the Aaron Judge like number ninety nine. By the <laughs> way, props to Aaron Judge and his new teeth. They're uh, straight. I haven't seen and not really good. No, no longer the big gap in the middle there. So good for him. All right. So I, my last thing here. I thought this was hilarious. 1994. So I don't know if you remember this, but OJ Simpson was in the news in 1994 uh, quite a bit. Yeah. So during the OJ Simpson low speed chase in the infamous Ford Bronco, Manny Ramirez was on Cleveland at that point, and he walks into the clubhouse and everybody's huddled around the TV watching this this chase. And uh, he, he says, hey, what's going on? And somebody says, oh, OJ's in a police chase right now. I don't, do you remember a picture, Chad OJ, O-G-E-A? I, it sounds familiar, but I, I can't say that's where I've heard it. Oh, yeah. I, I remember Chad OJ quite well. He pitched for the, the Cleveland, he pitched for the Dodgers for a while. Well, uh, Manny replied with, because <laughs> OJ was with the, with the Cleveland team at that point. He said, what did Chad do? <laughs> so, Chad OJ. All right, we got trivia. Uh, we got yes, of course. We got a question from last week. The question was that uh, three times in the history of baseball, the Cy Young Award winner ended up with a higher batting average than that year's home run leader. I yes. ask for the most recent occurrence of that, and uh, I am going to. I'm going to ask you first. Yeah, any any clues here? Any any ideas? I'm trying to think of the bashers, you know, the guys that hit a lot of home runs but didn't really carry a high batting average. And, um, you know, Kingman came up. I think about Rob Deer, but uh, I don't think either of those are going to fit. You should you should stick with your gut, right? Really? On. Yeah, because Dave Kingman is indeed involved. In 1980, Steve Carlton won the National League Cy Young with a batting average of 218 versus Dave Kingman's 204, his Dave Valley-like 204. Oh, wow. Uh, the time before that was your boy Bob Gibson. Oh, sure, yeah. yeah we he knew could that, hit. Yeah, we knew that he could hit. Uh, so, yeah, so the, the last time that happened was 1980, Steve Carlton. Now, last week, uh, we mentioned one of our listeners' fathers, uh, one of our, our, our weekly listeners, Chris, from St. Louis. His He wanted... Make sure we gave a shout out to his father, Tom Cook, because he had helped uh, helped Chris with sudden Sam McDowell. Well, he outdid himself this week. He actually made an entire spreadsheet listing all of the National League Cy Young Award winners and the National League home run leaders and cross-referenced their averages. And he came <laughs> up with all three times it happened and obviously came up with the most recent of, uh, of Steve Carlton and Dave Kingman. So I want to give a shout out. Orange Slices and Sunny D for Tom for putting in that work. Of uh, Tom Tom works harder on the show than I do. You, well, <laughs> you were with me when we came up with that trivia question. I just happen to have a book that has these kind of things. <laughs> he did the legwork and, and came up with that. So shout out there. Congratulations. That was our only correct answer this week. Congratulations there. Got a new question for you. Now, I gleamed this from social media. I am going, I will give credit to the person who came up with this next week, just because I'm not going to give away where it came from. 
But this is an incredible trivia question. And I am really wondering if anybody's going to be able to come up with it. We, we've kind of ratcheted it up, the, the questions here in the last couple of weeks, harder and harder each week. So I'm going to give you a, a group of, well, I'm going to give you five players. And I want you to give me the sixth player in this group and figure out what what, what connects all these players. All right. Okay. So I'm going to yeah. give you I'm going to give you five players. Your job is to give me the sixth player in this group next week and tell me why he belongs. All right. OK. So in alphabetical order, I'm going to give you Hank Aaron, Barry Bonds, Ricky Henderson, Mickey Mantle and Jim Tomei. Now, I'm going to give okay. you give you the clue. It has something to do with with baseball. All right. All right. So (laughs) Hank Aaron, Barry Bonds, Ricky Henderson, Mickey Mantle, Jim Tomei. What do those five players have in common? And there's a sixth player that rounds out that group. Okay. I'm going to let you guys go at it. I'm I'm interested to see if anybody can come up with this. I will. uh, We'll give the answer next week, as well as I want to give definitely want to give credit to the person that came up with this question. But I'm going to hold off until next week so that nobody cheats and and just oh i saw that too all right i got you all right so let's uh let's let the ground screw come out and do their stuff we want to jump into the main portion of our show this week and uh, mark i am gonna have you go i think you've got a lot on your topic so we're gonna have you go if there's any time left i've got something that i wanted to talk about as well but we also want to leave time for wax packs heroes so what uh what have you got this week well, I, I've got a little story about a guy named Horace Fogel. That's Horace. Uh, you don't meet a lot of Horaces these days. Fogel, F-O-G-E-L. Have you heard of this guy? Well, let's see. I, I know I know who Horace Grant is, uh, just because I'm close. a big NBA fan. Oh, and, you are huge. And yeah. Fogel, uh, like I said, it, it's either Jared Fogel, known felon, or uh, and former subway spokesman, or it, Fogel was the name of the of McLovin, wasn't it? In, uh, in right. uh, Super Bad. Yes. And so very good. I'm talking about McLovin. Oh. I'm kidding. No, oh. I'm talking about Horace Fogel. Uh, we're looking at about in the 1880s and 1890s. Okay, so Fogel was born actually in 1861 and just outside of Philadelphia. Uh, he was a telegrapher. I think I said that right. Telegrapher, or anyway, he ran a telegraph. I, I believe it's telegrapherer. Telegrapherer. <laughs> Definitely. Yes. Definitely. He, he ran telegraphs for sure. And uh, uh, he, so he got into journalism because that's where he was at the Baltimore Day. Started writing a little bit and he returned to Philadelphia because that's where he was from. He got a, a job with the Philadelphia Press and uh, he was just covering, you know, random things, but decided to start covering baseball for extra money. And newspapers, they did not cover baseball back then. So when Fogel started coming out with his columns and stories about baseball, they found a little niche and they started selling newspapers a little bit more. The uh, next year, because he had proven his knowledge of the great sport, he became secretary and official scorer for the American Association's Philadelphia Athletics. In uh, 1887, upon the recommendation of Francis Richter, Fogel was hired by John Brush to manage his last place National League Indianapolis squad. So you got the Indianapolis Hoosiers of the National League. You've got a guy that writes newspapers who's now going to step up and manage these guys. Never played the game, never managed the game, but here he goes. He's going to run the show. He led them awesomely to a last place finish, and uh, his managerial career lasted less than a year, and he ended with a 20-49 and record, which I'd like to point out is 20 more wins than I have as a manager. We're, strangely, though, only 48 more losses than you have. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So we're close, me and, and Fogel. After that, he went back to writing, and he became the associate editor of The Sporting Life, which we quote quite often when we uh, go into early baseball and so on. He also the head of the baseball department at the Philadelphia Public Ledger because they had actually, the sport had grown and had some popularity at that point. But Fogel had bigger ambitions, my friend. In 1892, running as a Democrat, he narrowly lost a race for city council. He tried it again. 1893, he unsuccessfully 
sought the soft, easy, and honorable position of Philadelphia Naval Officer. Now, I have a question on that. I couldn't find it. Can you be voted Naval Officer? It doesn't make any sense to me. I'd like to be voted an officer just to have the cool medals, but I don't want to get shot at or anything, so never mind. 1894, he tried for state legislature, lost that one too. So Horace came back to the sporting world, and he tried tried to run for president of the Pennsylvania State League in 1894. Again, he lost. 1896, he uh, promoted himself as a potential Phillies manager. That didn't happen. But he had a little bit of success in 1898. He became the president of the National Basketball League. So there you go again, man. There's your basketball association for you, man. Fogel was given a time job as a skipper this time for the New York Giants in 1902. This guy must have been a heck of a talker, a gift of gab big time, because he talked himself into a lot of roles he didn't belong in. Kind of sounds like Rob Manfred. All right, so his second stint of managing was for the New York Giants in 1902, and on this team was this rookie named Christy Mathewson. Actually, he was a second-year pitcher when he came in, in uh, under Fogel's management. Now, he had won 20 games his rookie year, but Fogel just didn't think too highly of Mathewson as a pitcher, so he converted him, to, <laughs> converted him to a first baseman, then an outfielder, and then a shortstop. This was called the baseball crime of the century by many people. And Fogel was fired three months into his tenure. And uh, Matthewson back to the mound where he went on to win 373 games in a lifetime ERA of 2.31. So Fogel talks himself into some positions, but doesn't seem to be all that good at scouting. To be perfect. Yeah, not, not doesn't have a keen eye for talent, I would say. Right. Now, as usual, when he failed at something, which was kind of often, in 1909, Fogel back to the sports page. He was a sporting editor at the Philadelphia Telegraph. He was a, at this point, he was regarded as kind of just a big mouth guy who didn't have any credibility. He had, you know, tried his job at everything and failed at everything. And it was a little rough. When the teams weren't doing so well, he just went after them and, you know, they were the worst in the world. When they were doing together, they were strung a few wins together. He uh, he would say, oh, man, these guys are so great. And, you know, he just was a matter of, of he, he was he would overstate his opinions. He would fight with players. And he was just not the guy that had, had the credibility you wanted in that position. In November of 1909, it was announced that Fogel had purchased the Philadelphia Phillies. What? So everyone knew that Fogel could not have come up with the about, it's going to be between three hundred fifty dollars to $500,000 to buy the team. So how did he end up getting this team? Well, the rumor was that the Taft family of Cincinnati and Charles Murphy, president of the Chicago Cubs, were the real owners of the Phillies, and they were using Fogel as a figurehead. So here he is, so-called owning the Phillies now. Even though it was kind of controversial, nobody ever looked into it. There was no real investigation or anything. So I guess you can own or partially own two teams in the same league as long as nobody looks into it. It happened all the way up in a, until 1899, we know for sure. Yep. So I guess it was okay uh, as long as you look the other way. Well, he decided he was going to change the Phillies drastically. And as one thing we know about Horace is he really had great ideas in baseball, didn't he? So he fires the manager, William Murray. Bill Murray. Hey, look at that. Uh, the, the letter in its entirety said, the, the Philadelphia Baseball Club no longer requires your services. And that was it. That's how they fired their manager. He was replaced by Charles Red Dewin. And he was the catcher for the Phillies since 1902. Fogel completely revamped the uniforms. The old classic black trim on white or gray. He decided to go green with white. And an old English P for Philadelphia. Green striped socks. He's starting to look like the A's before the A's, man. He didn't like the name Phillies either. So he decided he was going to change it. He was quoted as saying, the name Phillies is too trite. It has come to mean a comfortable lackadaisicalness. The fourth place groove and Quakers stand for peaceful people who will dodge a fight. We're not going to be that way. We're going to get into fights. And that explanation, he urged everyone to adopt his new name for the National League Philadelphia team. The Live Wires. <laughs> Philadelphia Live Wires. To promote the name, he came up with a new logo, which was an eagle grasping sparking wires. The newspaper did mention the new name a handful of times, 
but nobody liked it. And uh, everybody just kept calling him the Phillies. So they stayed the Phillies. He tried so hard, you know, to bring something different to Philadelphia and, and failed miserably. As we have discussed of Mr. Fogel in the past, something he was good at. He also had some funny uh, promotions, pregame festivities. He would have a concert before every home game. Sometimes he would actually have three ring circuses on the field before the games. He once had a couple married in a lion cage on the pitcher's mound with a lion serving as a witness to the marriage. <laughs> this, sounds, this sounds a lot like early Bill Veck, uh, Charlie Finley. I'm My getting a lot of those exactly. My thoughts exactly. He also released 100 pigeons into the city with free tickets to the next game attached to their legs. I don't know if you had to catch and kill and eat the pigeons to get the tickets or what. But hey, free tickets to go see the live wires. He didn't, um, it, not a lot of success there. Didn't, didn't think that through. I mean, he might as well have just released turkeys from a helicopter at that point. Yeah, who would do that, though? Maybe in Cincinnati. I swear I to God, I thought turkeys could fly. <laughs> the uh, Phillies finished three games above 500. And then in 1911, fourth place. In 1912, fifth place. So at that point, though, Fogel, despite his, you know, being controversial in the first place, he really pulled a good one this time. Um, the uh, New York Giants were pulling away from the Chicago Cubs for the pennant. And uh, Fogel, you know, drinker, card player, and he used to hang out with his newspaper buddies a lot. So he starts drinking in August and September of the 1912 season. The Phillies are way out of the race. Okay, so Fogel's drinking, hanging out with his old pals. And uh, so he started just running his mouth about this conspiracy theory to give the Giants the pennant over his Phillies, who finished, of course, real close, 30.5 games back. So the Giants and the Cubs, he said they, they had conspired to fix the, the league championship. So all these conspirators that you know he had from the Cubbies and he had from the Giants and so on, nothing really came out of that. He uh, would write about this fix. He, published, he had published several articles. Uh, he went to Thomas Lynch, the league president, uh, he he then claimed that Thomas Lynch had instructed umpires to call games in favor of the Giants and against the Phillies. Of course, there was absolutely no evidence whatsoever. And he kept pushing, kept pushing. The league finally, they'd had enough. And they said, as far as President Fogel's attacks on the president of the National League is concerned, I care nothing. My 25 years record in baseball speaks for itself. The cowardly attack on the honesty of the umpires and the game itself is a different matter, however, it cannot be overlooked. I shall take these charges of President Fogel before the board of directors of the National League, which has sole jurisdiction. Regardless of whether Mr. Fogel has a financial interest in the Philadelphia club or not, he is president of that organization, and the charges he makes can only be handled by the league itself. So Lynch charged Fogel with several counts of improper conduct. They had a hearing November 27, 1912, and Fogel was found to have lodged unsubstantiated claims against the integrity of the game and was deemed of the integrity of the game and was deemed guilty of Lynch's charges. His punishment banned from baseball for life. Dun, dun, dun. Our buddy Horace was looking at his career in the eye and it, it uh, was disappearing very quickly. After the decision, Fogel claimed the jury was packed against him and that he wouldn't obey the decision. He said, I will sell or represent as I please the Philadelphia club in the National League as long as I feel inclined to do so, and no one can disturb me from doing so. He also threatened to take it to court. His, uh, it went through, and nothing happened at all. There was, uh, they were very defiant. They said, no, no appeal, no nothing, pal. You uh, are a lifetime screw-up, and we need you out of baseball. So um, he went back to reporting, of course. In 1920, he published an article in the Inquirer charging that both the 05 and 08 World Series were fixed. He cited sources that alleged the athletics pitcher, all buddy Rube Waddell, didn't pitch in the 05 Series because New York gamblers bribed him, and so on and so forth. But nobody really accepted that. There was no proof. He uh, kind of just went on to write he really didn't have any more credibility in any capacity in the world of baseball, lived out the rest of his life in Philadelphia, and died in 1928 at the age of 66. Horace Fogel, lifetime, can you call him a successful baseball man? Well, a lifetime baseball man. That's all I got about him. <laughs> Sounds like a fun guy, doesn't he? A lifetime, yeah, lifetime baseball guy. Not Lifetime baseball <laughs> failure. Horace Fogel. Never heard of him. Yes. 
Maybe that's because he's banned. Yeah. He's banned from uh, the history books. Yes, he has uh, been removed from the history books, and I've I've brought him up. We'll see if anything befalls me. You know, something terrible. <laughs> you might be banned from keeping score. Oh, don't say such a thing. All right, so let's before we get to Wax Max Heroes, let's do something a little bit different because we don't have enough time left to do a whole other. My my segment's going to be probably 20 minutes or so, so we don't have enough time for that. So I have got questions, trivia questions, just stacked away. Some of which, you know, for the beginning of the show, but a lot of these are for, for other things. So I've got five trivia questions that I'm going to. This is general baseball knowledge with some Seinfeld thrown in, which I know you're a big Seinfeld fan. So this should be this should be right up your alley. So uh, you, absolutely. Um, all right. You can so, call me Cosmo for this segment. <laughs> okay, Kramer. Let's go through here and let's just see how how you how you do with these five these five questions. Question number one. Okay. Nineteen nineteen Chicago White Sox. Maybe you've heard of them. Well, Lord knows we've I talked have. about them. The Black Sox. Who did they lose the World Series to in nineteen nineteen? Um, I believe that they defeated the Cincinnati Reds. Very good. Yes, correct. I, I don't know that I could have answered that <laughs> one. I, I, I got to be honest. I, I watched um, eight men out here a few days ago. Yeah. I've never watched eight men out just because I know the book that it was based on. And I know the his. you know, we've talked about the history of, of that. So <laughs> I've never watched the, uh, that, that movie, but okay. Very good. One for one next. This is another, this is general knowledge that I don't know if I could have answered this one correctly. Okay. When a game is forfeited, what is the final score? Oh, yeah. I believe the final score of a forfeited game is 9-0. to zero. Very good. I, for some reason, I thought it was 7-0. to zero, But, yeah, 9-0. to zero. Maybe if it's raining, it's 7-0 because they assume it would have been called at seven innings. So, now, you have been an official scorer in the minor leagues. What? How yes. do you – where do those nine runs come from? Who – are those credited to anybody? Does anybody get RBIs or runs scored? Where does this come from? No, there unfortunately are no stats. I was, as a pitcher, I always wanted to get a win out of a forfeit, you know. But uh, no, no stats come out of it. The only ones that come out are a win and a loss for the team. And I assume the nine is because of the players, number of players. They just like, okay, everybody hit a solo home run. And then it was on every inning, one or the other. All right. I got three more questions, and I'm going to go with three Seinfeld universe questions for you here you're a big seinfeld fan i'm a big seinfeld fan a lot of baseball involved in seinfeld so seinfeld question number one what team hat is elaine wearing when she george and kramer get to sit in the owner's box at yankee stadium see i remember this one too she was wearing a baltimore orioles hat that's right and she refuses to remove it (laughs) refuses to remove it causes a big scene Classic, classic episode. Yes. All right. Very good. Very good. All right. Which hotel did George put the Yankees up in Milwaukee? Ooh, man, I think you got me on this one. So, Um, so of course. I have no idea. Baseball teams stay in nice hotels. I mean, (laughs) and, you know, you can find out what hotel. the, The media guides all have the hotels listed for every city they go to and so forth. They're nice hotels. The Ritz Carlton. Uh, sometimes they stay at the W, you know, they're, they're generally somewhat close to the stadium, but they're generally, you know, really nice hotels. George was looking to save a little bit of money of course, yeah. along with his cotton uniforms. He booked him in the Ramada Inn. <laughs> in Milwaukee. Well, he probably got a great deal. <laughs> sure. Sure. He did. And I'm sure they were thrilled to be put up at the Ramada Inn. All right. Last one. This is uh, this one is a tough one. I do not expect you to get this one. This is one that I saw on a very in-depth article that I was reading about Seinfeld in baseball. Okay. So Roger McDowell, one of our one of our favorites, has been confirmed through an Oliver Stone-like recreation to be the second spitter in the right. episode "The Boyfriend." He was not the original expectorator, though that the writers wanted who was originally cast to be lurking in the bushes with a mouthful of saliva. Um, this is kind of weird because I read something about this and I believe 
I believe the spitter was going to be Daryl Strawberry. Wow. That's who they wanted. Very nice. <laughs> wow. I'm, I, I, hear, I don't even know where I pulled that out of. but <laughs> Yeah, so it was supposed to be Straw, but Strawberry, as he did through his entire career, was dealing with a lot of uh, issues uh, off the field. And uh, they didn't want to, they didn't think that he would be the right person to, to blame spitting on somebody else. So they moved on to Roger McDowell, who I think it works perfectly because Roger McDowell is a goofball and uh, he did really well. I don't, I don't think Daryl Strawberry, well, judging by Daryl Strawberry's voice acting in uh, the Simpsons Homer at the bat episode, I don't think he would have done so well. Yeah, probably not. Yeah. But very good. Roger McDowell, very much a, a practical joker, goofy, a uh, fun guy to be around from what I hear. I have a, a story about Roger I'll have to tell you offline. <laughs> is, is that like my Pedro Guerrero story that I can't tell on? <laughs> not not quite, but very similar. Okay. All right. Well, that's that that was just a little little filler there uh to get us to uh to the last segment of our show, but a little bit of Seinfeld trivia. Now, before we get into the last segment of the show, uh we're just take a quick Stop here and hear a word from some of our friends at the Tipping Pitches podcast. Are you annoyed by broadcasters calling for baseball to be played the right way when you really just want to hear Sean Doolittle's Star Wars rankings? Do you hate that your owner traded away your favorite player just months after you bought their jersey? I actually just bought their jersey. I I don't understand your jersey thing. Just buy the jersey. But anyway, let's move on. (laughs) Do you love your local minor league team? but hate the way that owners are slashing it for profit? Do you wonder aloud if Rob Manfred has ever even watched a baseball game? Well, we've been searching for that answer right here every week for the last four years. We're talking you through all of that. Plus, the never-ending joke about the diversification of Ross Stripling's stock portfolio over at Tipping Pitches. Available on Apple, Spotify, or anywhere you get your podcasts. Hello, everybody. Uh, I'm Alex Rodriguez. Tipping Pitches. This is the one that I love the most. So we'll see you next week. See ya. If you have not listened to Tipping Pitches before, it is, uh, it's one of my favorites. Uh, Alex and Bobby have uh, been doing it for quite a while. They've got really smart guests. I think we've, we've talked about it before. Well, I know we've talked about the podcast before. They, they, uh, they, they are some of the more intelligent baseball talk They've got some made some real cool merchandise about unionizing the minor leagues. Love to point out the just idiocracy. What is the word for uh, of Major League Baseball's owners and and the front offices and, and the commissioner's office? They're very good listens. So please, if you have not listened to Tipping Pitches, we'll leave a link in the show notes as well. I'm sure you can listen to them. However, you're hearing us right now, but uh, make sure to jump over there. I would suggest one of my favorite. Uh, episodes is when they had Sean Doolittle on and it essentially evolved into a a Star Wars podcast which was pretty cool make sure to check that out Mark are you ready for the final segment of our show that we like to call and so we will continue to Wax Packs Heroes All right. oh, I'm ready. Okay. <laughs> Where is he? Uh, okay. So uh, we are going to do this as we always do. We're going to open up a couple of packs of baseball cards uh, from the junk wax era. I'm thinking of expanding this a bit because we keep at, we, we keep opening these up and it seems to be the same players. So I'm thinking maybe I'm going to try to get some cards from the 2000s and just, you know, maybe late 90s and, and, and 2000s and see what we got going on there just to get some new stories. I think we, we keep coming up with a lot of the same same people. But uh, if you are new to the show, what we do here is we each open up a pack. Uh, today, I have uh, two packs of 1989 scorecards. So we're going to open those up. We are going to compare the player's war as listed on Baseball Reference from that year. So we'll be looking at war from 1989. We will keep track of that. You can earn some extra points if you are wearing glasses of any sort, flip downs, shades, those big science teacher glasses. Uh, You're going to get an extra tenth of a point of war if you're wearing sweatbands with your caricature on it, your jersey number, or 
McDonald's logos, because that does happen for some reason, you're going to get an extra tenth of a point. If you are wearing real stirrups, that is a good decision. We're going to give you an extra tenth of a point of war. If you're wearing the two and ones, that's a poor life decision. We're going to minus a tenth of a point of war. If you have got a mustache, we're going to give you an extra tenth. If you are wearing one of those beautiful Raleigh fingers or Tom Selleck-esque mustaches, we're going to give you two tenths of a point of war for being a real man with the facial hair. <laughs> That's right. And of course, if you are a Hall of Famer, you're going to get a whole extra point of war. So, Mark, you are you're leaving me in the dust here. You have 14 wins to my eight. We're playing to 20. You're already the reigning champ from season one. I really need to pick this up. So I'm just going to bear down and I'm going to concentrate today. I'm really going to concentrate hard and see what happens. That'll help. Yeah. That'll definitely help. (laughs) All right. You are the reigning champ. So I'm going to let you pick uh, the pack of 89 score from my left hand or my right hand. Which one would you like? Uh, we're going for the right hand, hoping for that Lewis Polonia second year card, you know? Oh, yes. <laughs> That'll really help you out. All right, let's uh, <laughs> let's open this up. We've got score, not their best looking uh, effort, but still, you know, scores are okay. They got good pictures. All right, so uh, here we go. You are going to start off. <laughs> I like this guy. I think we've talked about him before. He was on the A's, certainly at one point, but here he is. Pitching on the road in Jack Murphy Stadium for the Montreal Expos, it is Jeff Parrott. Jeff Parrott. Yeah, I remember him as an Expo. I don't... Maybe... Um, Phillies, too? Yep, definitely. Uh, was on the Phillies for just... Well, he was on the Phillies for three years, the Expos for three years as well. And then okay. various other teams for one year, including Oakland. In uh, 1989, however, if we take a look at his war, not a bad year. 1.4 war. Uh, that okay. was a twelve and six mark out of the bullpen. Wow, that what a, a lot of decisions. That's for a earlier. vulture right there. <laughs> when you <laughs> yeah. when you get twelve, you know what? He had twelve wins the year before out of the bullpen as well. In two years wow. as a reliever, he went twenty four and ten. Wow. That's your fantasy baseball anomaly right there. Yeah. Twenty four wins out of a reliever over two years. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> Uh, looking at his card, he's got a beard and mustache like he always did. He's also got real stirrups. So that's a strong start for you. That's a 1.6 right out of the gate. All right. Our, your next card is this just looks odd. He's got he's got glasses and a mustache, which is going to help you out. But I have absolutely zero recollection of Bob Horner in a St. Louis Cardinals uniform. Oh, OK. A Cardinal. Yeah, because I remember him as a brave. Definitely. Yeah, nine years. And then there was that year, uh, the collusion year, where owners didn't sign any free agents. Ugh. And he went and played in Japan, I believe. Yeah. So 1987 for Yakult, the Swallows. Wow, look at this. He slashed 327, 423, 683 for an OPS of 1.106 with 31 home runs. Oh, my gosh. It's a nice year. Pretty good season right there. Unfortunately for you, though, he came back in 88 and played for the Cardinals for one year. And then he he did not appear in the majors again. So no war from uh, 89. Uh, He does have uh, glasses and a mustache, though. So that is going to get you 0.2. That'll bring you up to 1.8. Bob Horner walks out, takes his hat off, waves for the crowd, and leaves. Yep. Uh, Thanks a lot. All right. Next, uh, I think you mentioned him earlier uh, when you were trying to guess the answer to the trivia question. It is Balmer for the Milwaukee Brewers, Rob Deere. Rob Deere, the man, the man could hit, the man could hit a home run like so far, so hard. You could hear it like you could hear the ball being in pain. Yeah, he could swing the bat really hard. Whether or not he actually hit anything is is another, another thing entirely. It's all about contact. Yeah, well, 1989 is actually one of the rare years that he did not lead the league in strikeouts. Yeah, He did hit 26 home runs, uh, only a 210 average, 305 on base. That's uh, not great. 89, that equates to a war of .3, but he's always got that great mustache. So that'll get you a .4 on the positive side. Next, we've got Bay Area native, Oakland Athletic veteran for half a season and National League batting champ Willie McGee. Uh, Et not the uh, not the nickname he prefers, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, Willie McGee. Let's see. In uh, 1989, he spent the entire year 
of course, in St. Louis. He did hit, oh, wow, he only hit 236 that year. Definitely a down year. And he only stole eight bases. He was caught six times. He only appeared in 58 games. Obviously, he was injured. And uh, all of that equates to a war of only .1. He always had a mustache, though, so that'll get you a point, too. Oh, boy. Uh, This one probably not going to help you a whole lot either. He's got a nice mustache going on there, but this is right fielder for the Phillies, Chris James. Um, I don't have a lot of memory of Chris James. Uh, I know who Bill James is. I do not know off the top of my head who Chris James is. He spent 10 years in the big leagues, though. Uh, Most of it with the Phillies, who he came up with. And then you name a team, and he probably spent part of a season with them. In 1989, uh, let's see, he was with Philadelphia and San Diego and uh, did not perform particularly well. Let's see, all of that equates to a war of minus 2.2. Are you kidding me? That's I thought, terrible. I thought it was impossible to have a minus war that high, but he did. That's terrible. Yeah, he's got a mustache, though, so it's only minus 2.3. Oh, I feel better. That'll bring you down to a total of 0.1. <laughs> he wiped out all your start. work. Thanks a lot, Chris. All right, next catcher for the Blue Jays and uh, somebody Ricky Henderson was known to steal some bases off of. It's Pat Borders. Pat Borders, uh, man, journeyman, big time. I think he even went on to play some minor league ball after the majority of his career, and then he did he even make a comeback after that. So are you? He play, didn't the A's sign him, and that might be where you remember him from. I know he was with the Mariners for a while too. I can't remember. They made a bobblehead of him in Toronto. And so he had to like make a special trip just to go collect his bobblehead. Ah, I remember that. And I think he was in the Seattle organization at the time. Yeah. Yeah. So he definitely played in Tacoma and it looks like that was when they had switched to the Mariners. So, but Pat Borders, a world series MVP. Don't, uh, don't forget about that. Let's see what year that was in uh, 1992 in the world series. He hit 450 on base of 500 and slugging of 750. For a 1.25 OPS. Wow. Not bad. Not bad. Yeah. Uh, Let's see, though. In 1989, let's uh, take a look at what he did. This was only his second year in the big leagues. A .7 war. He does have a mustache, though, so that'll get you a .8. Something interesting about Pat Borders that I, I found. He is one of only five players to have won a World Series ring and an Olympic gold medal. So it's him. Uh, Doug Minkiewicz also has done that. And then three Cuban players, Orlando Hernandez, Jose Contreras, and Yuli Gurriel. Oh, wow. Very interesting. Yeah, I thought that was... It only gets you point eight. still. It brings you up to point nine. More. <laughs> I don't. Wait, we don't have an Olympic gold medal no, bonus? We, no, we do not. No. We should maybe work that in. All right, next, this guy. This guy was in the outfield with Ricky when I started going to baseball games. It was uh, Dwayne Murphy, Ricky Henderson, and this guy, Tony Armas who was still around in 1989 here with the California Angels. Yep, Tony Armas, uh, I actually knew his um, nephew, Marcos, pretty well. He was a, boy, he's a big dude, though, man. He could hit long arms to get the, the bat out there, the bat head, and he would just crush the ball. So, yeah, so Marcos is actually his brother. Yes, oh, his brother, okay. Yeah, and then, of course, Tony Armas Jr. has been around the big leagues uh, as well. In 1989, it was his final year in the big leagues with the Angels. Uh, 109 OPS, so not bad. He's still above uh, above average. That equates to a .4 war. He does have a great mustache as usual, and he's got stirrups. Uh, I'm going to even give you two on that mustache. That's a good mustache. Ew. So that'll be a, a .7 for you there. Next, oh boy, we like this guy. <laughs> the, the, the height that his stirrups are pulled up. You're going to get, you're going to get, oh, this is a big, big bonus for you. All right. He's got flip down sunglasses. Check. He's got a mustache. Check. He's got real stirrups. Check. All you can see are the striped. You're not seeing the arch and it's almost up to his knee. And he also has caricature sweatbands on. He's got two, but I can only see the caricature on one of them. So that's one, two, three. That's uh, four additional war points for Mr. Schwan Dunstan. Oh, Schwan. Gotta love Schwan Dunstan. Who I'm sure does not pronounce his name Schwan, but we're going to because that's fun. Uh, great shortstop. Uh, played most of his career for the uh, Cubs. And, man, it was quite a career, too, I gotta say. 18 years he played. 
That's a long, long career. Right on an OPS plus of 100 in 1989, that equates to a war of 2.3 plus the four extra points. So that is 2.7 on the positive. That's a good card for you right there. Finally hit something high score. Very nice. That's 4.3. Next, you're going to get pitcher for the Twins. It is Keith Atherton. Ooh, I remember that last name, but he's a reliever yeah. for the Twins, so I don't remember a whole lot. Atherton, I thought I remembered from uh, playing with the Tacoma Twins when I was a really little kid. Well, he, again, what do I know? he came up with Oakland. He spent the first four years in Oakland in the early 80s. Uh, 1989 was his final year. He went 0-3 with the Cleveland team, not the Twins. 4.15 ERA, and that equates to a war of minus 0.1. But he's got real stirrups and he's got a mustache, so you're going to get a point one out of that. A lot of a lot of okay. mustaches and real stirrups at this point. I did find something interesting. I did a real quick research. He did play in Tacoma in '82 and '83, and that must be what I remember him from. Well, you, okay. you will remember this guy uh, set a record in the uh, in the bullpen for the White Sox. It's Bobby Thigpen. Oh sure, I think I got a chance at some war here. If I remember correctly, Mister Thigpen was quite the closer. He. Uh, he had one, I mean, he had a lot of good years, but he had one really huge year, if yeah, I remember. 97. But it wasn't 89. <laughs> yeah, 97, he had 50, or I'm sorry, 90, 1990, he had 57 saves. In wow. 89, he did have 34, 2 and 6 record, 3.76 ERA. He struck out 47 batters in 79 innings. So that equates to a war of 0.9. He does have real stirrups, though, so that'll get you a whole point. Yay, one point. All right, next. I, you know, so I found this guy on Facebook and I sent him a DM. He has not responded. I would be so thrilled here. We've talked about, I think we, we've talked about him every episode for the past like 10 episodes. This has got to be one of his final years. Here he is with the White Sox. It's Jerry Royce. Jerry Rolls Royce. Absolutely. Uh, I remember Royce mostly um, as a Dodger, obviously, right during the kind of the, my uh, formative years in baseball. Nine years with the Dodgers, 22 years overall. 1989, wow. he was 40 years old. He would go on to play one more season. In 89, he split time between the White Sox and the Brewers and went 9-9 nine and nine, uh, on the year. All of that equates to a war of minus 0.5. But he's got real stirrups and he has got a mustache. So it's only minus 0.3. I, I'm tempted to give you a, a point just for the grimace on his face as he throws. <laughs> but, uh, all right. Moving on. Next, we've got pitcher for the Tigers. It is Eric King. Hmm. Don't remember that one. All right. So, Eric King spent most of his seven years in Detroit. In 1989, however, though, he was on the White Sox. He went 9-10 and 10 with 25 starts. And that will equate to a war of 2.3. Not bad. Nothing on wow. this card, though, is going to add anything more. But for uh, for Eric King, take that. 2.3, that's good. Next, we've got a lefty. Well, he's a first baseman, so of course he's probably a lefty. For the Detroit Tigers, it's Dave Bergman. Dave Bergman, yeah. He played for quite a while, too, if I remember. Right. Uh, he did 17 years in the big leagues. Came up in 1975 wow. with the New York Yankees. 1989, uh, let's see, it was okay, year 102 OPS plus, didn't play, a, boy, he had a appeared in 137 games, only had 37 ribs and 7 home runs, all of that will bang out to a war of .6, he has got a mustache, uh, let's see, you know what, that's a good mustache, this is also right around the time that Tom Selleck would go to spring training with the Tigers, and uh, mm -hmm. this looks a lot like Tom Selleck. So I'm going to give you a point two on that mustache. So that'll be a point eight. In okay, Tom Selleck was the uh, Tigers uh, for the filming of Mr. Baseball. Yep. So it was a young Frank Thomas at the end. I, oh, it's, nice. a, it's a good movie. I like that movie. All right. Next okay. second baseman for the Reds, a left-handed hitting second baseman, unless he was a switch hitter. Uh, yeah, he was a switch hitter. Ron Oster. Oh, yeah. Uh, oyster or Oster. I'm trying to remember. I think it's Oster, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to call him Ron In Oster there. Sauce anyway. Uh, <laughs> let's see. 89 was his second to last year. He played 13 years in the big leagues, all of it with Cincinnati. Uh, oh, wow. Had an OPS plus of 77. 
in 89, and that equates to a war of 0.1. Nothing going on in this card that's going to get you anything more. So that'll bring you up to 8.3. Next, uh, we've we've said this name before. I remember this name, but I don't remember anything about him, like watching him play. Here he is listed as an outfielder for Atlanta, Terry Blocker. Yeah, I remember coming across this card before, but I don't remember what we said about him. Um, Only appeared in 110 games over three seasons. In 1989, he hit 226 with an OPS plus of 45. I'm not holding out hope this is going to help you a whole lot. Well, you know what? Only a minus 0.1 war, and he's got a mustache. So that's a wash for you there. <laughs> Been getting a lot of guys like that. You got uh, you got lucky there. All right, and your final card. Right now, you're sitting at 8.3. Your final card is an Astro. It is a, uh, a legacy card. We'll just say that. It is Buddy Bell. Oh, sure. Buddy Bell went on to manage for quite a while, too. He did. Uh, I remember mostly as a Cleveland Indian early from like some cards my brother had, but I think he went on and played for a bunch of other teams. Yeah, so he came up with uh, with Cleveland, spent seven years there, spent the most time in Texas, spent eight years okay. there. 89 was his final season. He was 37 years old, did not play a lot. OPS plus of 35. Oh, good. Well, he does have real stirrups, so... We'll account for that when we look and see that his war is a minus 0.6. So that's going to be a minus 0.5 for you. This was not a strong pack for you, my friend. Rough pack. Very rough pack. 7.8 is your total. That just means that I will no doubt score probably like a (laughs) 6.2. All right. Let's get right into it. Let's open my pack here. Get rid of the little year to remember card. Pete hits 44 in a row. Congratulations, Pete Rose. All right, we're going to start off with a catcher for Cleveland. It is Andy Allenson. Andy Allenson. Oh, you got me on that one. I definitely remember Andy. I don't think he did a whole heck of a lot. He was in the league for 10, 8 years. Uh, missed a couple of years with injuries. 89, though, he was in the league. An OPS plus of 65. So, boy, starting off strong, it looks like here. A war of point two. That's not too bad. Uh, I am, is that a mustache? Yeah, that's a mustache. So that'll get me one extra tenth of a point. That'll get me a point three to start off with. Next, oh. <laughs> would it be a Wax Packs Heroes without a Chili Davis card? I ask you. <laughs> of course, it has to be. Yeah. It's your turn to have Chili Davis. <laughs> so we're not going to go through the whole Kings in Jamaica and all that, uh, all that good stuff. 1989, he was still with the California Angels. OPS plus of 120, I'll take that. Had 90 ribs, 22 home runs, and a war of 2.9. Of course, Chile had a nice mustache, so that'll get me an yeah. even three. I'll take that. With that, I'm, I'm just about halfway to your total. This one might help. Uh, this one is one of our favorite guys. We like to talk about him. Outfielder, left fielder, specifically in old Fenway Park. It's Mike Greenwell. Oh, man, I used to be the biggest Greenwell fan. My brother was the biggest Greenwell fan, but I was up there, too. Mike Greenwell, Ellis Burks out there in the outfield for the for the a lot Sox. Of talent. Greenwell could do a lot of stuff, too. Yeah, so 89. Yeah, a little was, bit of power. He could hit for average. Go ahead, man. Sorry. Yeah, so 89, he was an all-star. Slashed 308, 370, 443 for an OPS plus of 123, 95 RBIs, 13 stolen bases. All of that equates to a war of 3.6. He has got some real stirrups, and he's got a mustache as well. Always had a mustache. He played his whole career in Boston. Yep, so that is a 3.8 for me, and that will equal 7.1, which is just almost <laughs> there. Now, remember Mike Greenwell also, uh, Gator is his nickname, which we've talked about, but also went and played for seven games uh, in 1997 for the Hanshin Tigers before God called him back home. <laughs> One of those flops. That uh, he just did not, did not do, did not adjust well, unfortunately. Uh, and there was yeah. a there was something going around uh, Twitter a couple of weeks ago that he had died. I remember, okay. I, I remember Mike Greenwell, R.I.P. Mike Greenwell. And for like an hour, everybody was saying he he had passed away, but no, he is as far as I know alive and kicking, still in Florida. Next, we got an Oakland Athletics designated hitter for a hot minute. It's Don Baylor. Oh, nice. Uh, Don Baylor, of course, who went on to manage for 10 years or so. Uh, One of his nicknames, The Sneak Thief. I I don't know what that is about. Unfortunately, though, 1988 was the last year that Don Baylor appeared in the major leagues. Oh, well, 
you get a picture of him and that's it. Yeah, but he does have a mustache and he's got real stirrups. So uh, I'm at least extending my lead for uh, Donnie. He's not Donnie Baseball. Groove or the Sneak Thief. All right, this the guy. Yeah, this guy has passed away a while ago. He is also the pitcher that gave up uh, Pete Rose's record-breaking single in Cincinnati. It's Eric Shaw. Eric, win, place, or Shaw? Uh, boy, he's got some lettuce hanging out of his uh, his hat here in this picture. Uh, Eric Shaw <laughs> pitched for eleven years. He final year was in Oakland. I don't really really remember that 1989 he was still with the Padres went eight and six 4.23 ERA and that equates to a war of 0.4 he does have real stirrups and he does have a mustache so that's going to be a 0.6 for me this is uh I, I'm patting my lead here in case I get a what was that what was that guy from that just killed you Joe Schlobotnik I think <laughs> was it was it Terry Blocker yeah yeah I think so Thanks a lot. All right. Next, uh, we get one of the Candyman, and it's not Candy Maldonado. So it's Candelaria? Exactly. Candiotti? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's John Candelaria. So uh, Candelaria, rookie year 1975, he pitched for 19 seasons in the big leagues. Wow, that's that's impressive. Yeah. In 1989, he split time between the Yankees and the Expos. And all of that equates to a war of minus 0.1. Nice going there. He does have real uh, real stirrups, though. So that's just going to be a wash. Move on to next. Uh, we, I, I swear we get him every every week, too. It's Ozzie Gian, shortstop for the White Sox. We do get him every week, don't we? I'm, do you think Ozzie Gian's ever going to get another manager shot? Uh, it's a long shot, I think. But, uh, I mean, you never know. I think if it, you're in a, in a situation where you could use somebody controversial. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I think he had some controversial statements when he was managing the uh, the Marlins at one point. But uh, rookie of the year, 1985, 1989, he was not an all-star. and had an OPS plus of 68, so I'm not going to hold my breath here. That's actually a war of 2.6. He's got real stirrups and he's got a mustache, though, so that's 2.8. I hate to tell you, but I'm I'm blowing you out here. I am now at 10.7, and uh, we've got a DH outfielder, first baseman for the White Sox as well. It's Dan Pasqua. Pasqua, man, don't remember a whole lot about him, but he did play for nine or ten years, I think. Yeah, so I remember he was on the Yankees when Ricky was there. Ten years in the big leagues, came up with New York, and then uh, spent 88 through 94 with the White Sox in 1989. Uh, 101 OP, or I'm sorry, 111 OPS plus, and that equates to a war of 1.1, and nothing else on the cards can help me out, but it's in the positive, so I'm down with that. Next, oh, here we already had one uh, Mike Greenwell nicknamed Gator. Here is a New York Yankee left-handed reliever nicknamed Gator. New York Yankee left-handed pitcher nicknamed Gator as well. Do you know who that is? I do not. Ron Guidry. Oh, sure. Cy Young yeah. Award winner, couple of World Series, uh, player yeah. of the year. Uh, unfortunately, 1988 was his final year in the big leagues, though. <laughs> so, now you got another blank, man. Not going to help me, but he's got real stirrups and he's always got a good mustache, so I'll get point two out of that. Uh, next, we've got Lefty for the Seattle Mariners wearing real stirrups, and that might be all I'm going to get out of Steve Trout. <laughs> not Mike Trout. Let's make sure everybody understands. There's a big difference here. There is quite a big difference here. Steve Trout, uh, nicknamed Rainbow. Uh, he is the son oh, oh, nice. of Dizzy Trout. Have you ever heard of Dizzy Trout? No, but I have caught one. <laughs> well, get this. Dizzy Trout appeared in 15 seasons in the big leagues from 1939 to 1957. In 1943, he led the league with a 20-12 record. The next year, he won the ERA title. Led the league in games started, complete games, and shutouts. This guy was, uh, Dizzy was legit. Won a World Series in 1945. Two-time All-Star. Not uh, not bad there for Dizzy Trout. Not Dizzy Dean, but Dizzy Trout. Me neither, but man, he's got decent numbers. Yeah. So Steve Trout did not fare as well. Uh, in 1989, <laughs> his final year with the Mariners went 4-3 and three with a 6.60 ERA. That equates to a war of minus 1.3. 
And he's got stirrup, so I'll just be a minus 1.2. I think that's my first minus of the of the pack. Welcome to the club. Yeah, I I, I am three whole points of war ahead of you. Uh, Curtis Granderson here, a very young, or no, Curtis Granderson. Uh, Curtis Wilkerson here with the Texas Rangers, second baseman. Uh, Kurt Wilkerson, I mean, I, I, it rings a bell. Was he uh, like a middle infielder type, or do you remember? Well, he's listed here as a second baseman. He might have been a utility guy. Kurt Wilkerson, uh, 11 years. He had a pretty good career. Spent the first uh, six of them in Texas, including, nope, 1989, he was with the Cubs. 64 OPS plus, so not holding my breath here. Well, he had a war of 0.0. So I'll take that. I can't tell if he's got a mustache or not. I'll, I'll, I'll say no on that one. But Kurt Wilkerson, not exactly helping me out there. Yeah, not much to talk about there. Next catcher for the Atlanta team, it is Bruce Benedict. Bruce Benedict. Was he a, was he their starting catcher for a while? Uh, let's see. He was, yeah, in the early 80s. Uh, appeared in 120 games, 118, 134. In 1989, okay. though, it was his last year in the big leagues. OPS plus of 53. You're, you guys are killing me here at the end. Oh, but you know what? That's still a war of 0. 0.5. Uh, yeah, he's in the positive. You know, I'm tempted to give him a, a tenth of a point because he's a catcher and he's not using batting gloves while he's batting. But I'm not going to do that. Ooh. It's just a 0. 0.5 there. Because, I don't know, you don't know what he's done to his hands to toughen him up. You know, if he peaked <laughs> Moses will do it. So, we'll, we'll just leave that alone. Uh, next, we've got one of his teammates with Atlanta. I believe, Fie, we had him last week as well as Jeff Blauser. And you're going to go, Blauser, Blauser, Blauser. <laughs> you beat me to it, man, so I'm not going to now. <laughs> uh, I still don't remember what that's from. I had to look it up the first time you said it. Uh, let's see, though. 1989... A young Jeff Blauser, 23 years old. His first full year in the major leagues. He played just about every position. A 108 OPS plus and a 1.4 war. He's got real stirrups on as well, so that's 1.5. I think that should pretty much put it away. I got two cards left. I'm at 12.8. Next, we've got shortstop for the Dodgers. It's Tracy Woodson. Tracy Woodson. Um, yeah, he wasn't a starter, but I think he's another one of those utility guys, wasn't he? Yeah, I think he probably played around the infield. Well, you know what? Actually, only first base and third base. Uh, and uh, in 1989, he appeared in four games for an OPS plus of minus 100. <laughs> That's a war of minus 0.2. He does, oh, but look at this. He's got real stirrups and he's got flip down sunglasses. So it's a wash. And my final card is second baseman for the White Sox, Donnie Hill which I don't believe Donnie Hill is going to minus me five war. I'm, I'm thinking I might pull this one out. Donnie Hill appeared uh, for nine years in the big leagues. He came up with Oakland, who I do vaguely remember that because that was right when I started going to A's games. In 1989, though, he was injured that year and did not play. But he does have real stirrups, so that'll get me a point one, And that will bring my total up to 12.9. A slaughter. 12.9 to your 7.8. It was never even close. It's a high-scoring game. Yes. It was uh, one of my better. Actually, you know, it wasn't that great of a pack. It's just your pack was just awful. It really was terrible. Uh, no more 89 score, man. <laughs> uh, let's see. Did we have any Hall of Famers in either of our packs? Did You had one, didn't you? No, I had uh, Bob Horner, who might be in the Japanese Hall of Fame. <laughs> yes. Yeah, not a single, uh, not a single, uh, well, a single uh, Hall of Famer anywhere. Wow. All right, yeah. but uh, I'm I'm back on the on the good side of the ledger. So I will. Uh, yeah, go. stop my winning streak, man. Yeah, I will accept my orange slices and, and Sunny D uh, for that one. All right, let's start to wrap up the show. As always, we want to thank all of our listeners every week. We really do appreciate it. If you, uh, if you want to rate and review us, well, that would be great. But also, if you want more of us during the week, if you just can't get enough, if you're like the opposite of my wife and just cannot get enough of us, you can find us on social media. We are at 2 Strike Noise. That is at T-W-O Strike Noise on Twitter and Instagram. You can also search for us uh, on YouTube. 
I will put all of those links in the show notes as well if you want to just go that way. Likewise, you can send us mail electronically. Mark will tell you how to do that. You can send uh, any sort of electronic mail correspondence to Two Strike Noise. Spell it out, T-W-O, Strike Noise, at gmail.com. And just a hint, we will click on any attachment you send us. So if you want to send us a virus, go right ahead. <laughs> we will just click right on that stuff right away. So... Yeah, I enjoy viruses, actually. I had one this year. (laughs) All right. Well, that's going to do it for another episode. We've got more coming up next week. It's in the the chamber ready to go. So hopefully uh, you will join us again next week on the next episode of Two Strike Boys. Thank you. God bless you. Have a great day. 